Miracy. This is what any course creator can do. Tap into the expertise of your audience and help them see how to leverage what they already know to get through the obstacle or over the speed bump to the next step. Hello and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches course creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eaney, the founder of Miracy, an education company, and I'm here with my co-host Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. In each episode, we're going to showcase a course and course creator who is doing something really interesting with their course. Our guest today is Dr. G. Dr. G, welcome to Course Lab. Thank you so much, Danny and Abe. It's really, really wonderful to be here. So I'm really excited to hear about, first of all, like your story. Um, how did you come to be doing what you're doing? And then I also want to hear about the leap from that to online courses specifically. But 30,000 feet, um, how did you come to be doing this? I'm a family doctor. I'm an MD, the kind of doctor that you would go to if your back hurt or your child needed their well visit, that kind of a family doc. And what I discovered after a few years of being an attending physician, meaning I finished all my training and I was at a... Uh, health center serving underserved populations, I discovered that as, as much ego as I had wrapped up in my diagnostic skills and my ability to ask good questions and listen to the answers and give people great suggestions for a course of care and prescriptions, et cetera, that would help them, none of that was the best predictor of my patient's well-being. Turned out, I kept observing over and over and over again that I could do my best job and what it really depended on, the outcomes really depended on, was that person's resilience, how they pictured their life and how they utilized the resources around them and, and what they thought was possible and all this stuff that the more I read about it, the more I realized we put in this bucket of resilience. So I have never stopped practicing medicine. I'm still at that uh, health center that serves underserved folks in my city, but I decided I had to figure this out. Resilience is this thing that we often in our society have a real fixed mindset around. Some people are resilient and some people aren't, and that's just how it is. But I thought there had to be more to it than that. And so I have spent the last nine years reading, writing, researching, speaking, and now leading thoughts about resilience and how we grow it. And so where did an online course emerge as an idea that made sense here? Because you know, you, you've been reading, you've been writing, you've been teaching, you've been speaking. What drew you to this modality? When I hear a great speaker, I want to have coffee with that person. I want to do seven of the things they talked about, but that excitement wanes and other things get my attention and I forget some of the stuff they said. And so I was really interested in how could I give people a, a prescription that they could follow or choose from or a menu or something that was a takeaway with them so that they could be effective at the changes we talked about. And so the course that you created is called Change the Behavior in You. So what do you actually teach inside the course and what is the transformation afterwards? One of the things I know as a family doc is that I don't know nearly as much about you as you do. So I really want you to dig in and figure out what you already know about yourself so that you don't waste your time trying things that don't work for you. Transformation is the confidence and the experience of successfully changing a behavior. It doesn't actually matter which behavior you pick. That transformation is transforming from someone who thinks, oh, I wish I could change that, but I know I can't, to, oh, I changed that. What else could I change? How do you do that? 
I do that by first teaching, and I hope that this word doesn't scare anybody off, a little bit of neuroscience, helping people understand what our brains do when we establish patterns which become habits. And it's usually those habits that we're trying to change when we want to change the behavior. I help people understand that just a little bit, like enough for it to be useful, but not enough for it to feel like you're going to be tested on it. And then I help people with the most important step, which is picking the right behavior to change first. I put them through a series of questions so that they can identify for themselves a behavior that meets four criteria so that they can be really successful with this change. And one of those criteria is it has to be something that you can see an obvious benefit to the change. So once they've changed it, they're going to be really pleased with that because they set out beforehand to make sure that it was something they cared about, not something someone else told them they should change or something they uh, you know, had always known was good for you, but something they were actually really excited to have be different. Once I help people understand the change they want, as opposed to only the thing they don't want anymore, and then I walk them through not only how to start making the change, but also how to go back to it when they stop. We've overcome most of the obstacles. I give them four sections. Each one is about 12 minutes to listen to, but it comes along with steps that they can go back to this algorithm again and again and again with any behavior change they want to make. So really what I'm hearing is that the core of, of what you're giving them is you're leveraging this knowledge of neuroscience to help them focus on the goal they want and then not so much give them the tools to accomplish the goal because everyone's goal could be different, but rather give them kind of the meta tools to, to make a plan themselves and to get back on track when they fall off the wagon. Am I getting that right? I give them concrete steps and algorithm to follow because like, um, like a science experiment, when you're in high school, if you had to take chemistry and it said mix reagent A in test tube B, and it wouldn't come out the same every time, but you knew the steps you were supposed to try to follow. And I do that because I want people to have the steps. I don't want them to be like, oh, I did that. I have no idea how, and I don't think I could ever do it again. If you can help someone understand how to think about something, how to approach something, if you can tap into their expertise, and this is what any course creator can do, tap into the expertise of your audience and help them see how to leverage what they already know to get through the obstacle or over the speed bump to the next step. So this is all really interesting because something we advise course creators a lot on is is encouraging them to think about their courses as helping move people towards some meaningful outcome or or transformation and and not just conveying information or how-tos. And if another course creator was coming to you, you know, someone who's teaching a course on business or on watercolor painting, and they're saying like, well, hey, I have all these great how-tos in my course, but nobody's doing it. They're not actually getting to the results that I, I hoped for for them. What would you advise them? Like, what, what would be your, your guidance for other course creators? One of the things that I would really encourage course creators to think about is what don't they know about their audience that their audience does know? For example, they could maybe imagine but not know for sure why this person wants to work with watercolors. Or what it is about, is it about having the finished product or is it about the process or is there something that they just imagine or that they know that being a watercolor artist would do for them? And making that discovery a part of the online course. Yeah. So focusing on the the motivation, the why, what is driving people to 
take this course in the first place and then yeah exactly providing a a a path for them to follow that's not just about how do you do it but what is a way that you can do it that is consistent with kind of what we know about behavior change Yes. You know, that's my motivation because I want everybody to be better at behavior change because that makes everybody more resilient. So when we can ask people to get to know themselves better, whatever our content, whether it is about weightlifting or speaking from stage or whatever it is, when we ask them to tap into their own expertise, what we're saying is, I respect you. I respect that you have a different story or a different journey than I did. And I'm here to help us find our common ground so that I can serve you to help you have this thing that I have that you want. I mean, it it sounds like another challenge that you faced in designing your course was introducing, taking fairly tactical concepts, but making them applicable and and useful for people who don't want to learn it at a deep tactical level, but they want the practical insights that come out of that. What did you you know, kind of discover um, in working through that challenge of, of how to build upon this more tactical material and, and make it more applicable and useful for people. What I've learned is that most people have an area in which they're really good at knowledge translation. It might be explaining the rules of football to a friend who's watching it and isn't as into football as they are. It might be about something in the IT field. It could be something about marketing, whatever it is. And so doing that knowledge translation, taking what you know so well and speaking it into English, it takes really knowing your subject matter, maybe even a tiny bit better, but saying it in a way that respects the person you're speaking to, doesn't dumb it down. I hate that phrase because that's not what it is. It's just translating it in a way that someone who knew nothing about that subject could understand the action point. And that I think you can really concretely vet with other people. You can go to somebody who has a friend of yours who has no interest at all in your area of expertise and just say, I want to tell you something and I need you to tell me where it doesn't make sense or where I started out too advanced or where it makes you feel like an idiot. So you're essentially leaning on the idea that a lot of the things that we want to accomplish in life, we actually do know how to do it. We're just not putting all that knowledge that is latent somewhere in our heads into appropriate focused action. And, and I'm inclined to agree that's that's the case much of the time. But there are also some times when, you know, I just don't know how to solve the problem. I don't know what steps to take. So I can't look inward and pause it. Um, what what do you, what in your experience is kind of the ratio of of the times? You know, how often do people come to you? And you're like, actually, you need information that you just don't have. My content is at one end of that spectrum. I can absolutely imagine content that's at the other end of the spectrum, what you're talking about, Danny, with people who are like, yeah, I I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And I don't have any experience to draw on. For me, just about everybody that I interact with has changed a behavior. We've all made behavior changes successfully if we're over the age of four. So For me, most people do have some experience to draw on, even if they've hit an obstacle that they really don't know how to get over it. And I can then help them with that next step. But I think that even as a course creator, if you're explaining something that's esoteric or very detailed or really advanced, still your audience knows how they got up to that point. And and this is really important for problem solving. They know what hasn't worked. If you can do what my son's 
spelling teacher does and give a little bit of a pretest to say, where are you at? What do you know? And where are your challenges? Then you're doing what I'm talking about. You are respecting that I'm a functioning adult and you're respecting that I have at least some expertise in what hasn't worked. And that gets me more engaged in the process. And and the other thing I think we haven't talked about this sort of, what do my kids call it in a video game? The egg right? The surprise thing you find if you get to that level is that when you engage your audience this way, they don't just want this course. They want your next course and your next course and to come see you speak in person and to hire you because we love, we need to feel respected, to feel collaborative. I love that. And I have one more question, Dr. G, about focus and positioning of the course, because your your core focus, your passion is resilience. And yet you didn't say that, you know, here's my course about how to develop resilience. You didn't say the secret key to resilience, colon, change the behavior in you. You didn't even make resilience the subtitle. What led you to to the idea that the best course for you to get to where you want to go and make the impact you want to make is not about resilience writ large. It's about this particular area. This is a confluence of two beliefs of mine. And one is, I need to help you solve a problem. If I'm going to ask you for your money in order to serve you, it has to serve you. And most of the ways that people need to be served is to be able to make the changes that will get them closer to the life that they want to lead. The other piece of this is my definition of resilience. I define resilience as your ability to navigate change and come through it the kind of person you want to be. Inherent in that, is sometimes changing behavior because we cannot always change our circumstance. So behavior change, every time someone does it, they become a little bit more resilient. It might be a little bit like the zucchini and the chocolate chip zucchini bread uh, and the you know getting what you want out of the behavior change. Those are the chocolate chips. But I'm really transparent about it in my content. I didn't want to try and sell anybody on the idea that they should buy a course to become more resilient. I wanted to be very transparent about how I have information that does make them more resilient, but really benefits them in a way that they've been longing for on the regular. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's all the questions I have. Abe, do you have anything else you wanted to ask? No, this is great. Um, Thank you so much, Dr. G, for joining us and and sharing your insights, your expertise, and all the innovative uh, ideas you've come up with for your course. I think it's going to be tremendously uh, helpful for our listeners. Thank you for asking me these questions nobody has ever asked me before. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I'm really glad that you guys are giving so many people the opportunity to get their expertise out there. Absolutely. Dr. G is a medical doctor and a resilience expert. She teaches behavior change to families, educators, executives, and businesses. You can find her at askdrg.com. That's ask doctor, the full word, not the abbreviation, G, the letter G, askdrg.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the very best insights and practical takeaways for you to take and apply to your own course. And we're back for my favorite part of the conversation, the debrief. You know, Abe, what jumped out to me 
the most that I think is really, it, it's an important lesson for all aspiring course creators is what a great job Dr. G did of thinking about, okay, this is my ultimate objective, right? I want to teach resilience. I want people to be more resilient, but then not getting hung up on that and being like, well, I have to proselytize the importance of resilience and teach everyone my definition of resilience. Rather, it's like, what is the thing that I can teach that they want that will help them move in that direction? And even inside the content of the course, she did this amazing job of figuring out kind of what is the least effort that will lead to the most result? What is the minimum effective dose of what she can put into the course to empower people to get a result that is aligned with what they want and forces them to jump through the minimum number of hoops? I think that's a really important thing for people to kind of notice, underline, highlight, because those are just a cluster of things that entrepreneurs tend to get wrong when they're thinking about their online course. What jumped out to you? Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And I'd say the the larger theme encompassing all your points is behavior change, right? If you sign up for a dieting course or a, a health cleanse, it's not that you really want all that information or to learn a bunch of new recipes or the nutrient contents of different foods. You're not necessarily fascinated by that information, but you want to change how you are eating or other health behaviors that then lead to certain outcomes that you want, like feeling better or looking better and so on. And that that may seem kind of obvious, but it's not how a lot of courses are designed. There's often a tacit assumption that if we just provide well-structured and useful and applicable information, then people will kind of take it and run with it and get the results. And what we see in practice is that's really not at all the case. You can have really good, useful information. It can even be well-organized and well-structured. And while those are necessary, they're definitely not sufficient to lead to meaningful or sustainable behavior change. So there's a lot to be learned here, not from even just the details of how the specific course was implemented, but simply by, for anyone listening, look at your course from the perspective of behavior change. What are the behaviors that your students are coming into your course wanting to change? Are they wanting to stop a behavior like quitting smoking? Are they wanting to implement or increase a behavior like meditating? And how are you going to help them actually change that behavior in a way that's sustainable? So they're going to be seeing results, you know, not just today and tomorrow when they're deeply immersed in your course, but down the road as well. You know, the other thing that jumped out to me, it's a philosophy around building on what people already have and what they already know. You know, as we record this, I'm in the process of setting up a new office. And so I've got all this, you know, desk, microphone, shelves, like all this stuff that I'm assembling. And there's this really interesting dichotomy of philosophy in that some of it is like this completely prefab, everything is in the box. So, you know, if there's a screw, it's going to come with a little awkward Allen key, but like you do all of it, you know, everything you need is right there in the box. And then on the other end, there's this stuff where it's like, if this thing needs to be cut, I'm assuming you have a knife or, or something to do that with. There's merit to both of those directions, right? Because if you're going to give someone a, a call it a prefab course where everything you need is inside the box. There is a value to that, but it's also very limiting in that 
there's only so high you can build if you have to provide all of the bricks and all the pieces yourself. And there's also a very low ceiling on how good you can expect people to be at all these different skills, right? You know, the the screwdriver that's included with the with the prefab kit is not a very good screwdriver. Whereas taking that craftsperson approach, which is what Dr. G really does here, just like she said in the conversation, if you're over four years old, you have changed a behavior in the past. So there's a lot to already build on. I think there's a powerful lesson there for course creators in that when we look to create anything, to teach anybody anything, we have to look at the scaffolding, right? What is the knowledge that we need to build on? But then we can really take two approaches. We can say, I'm going to assume that my students know nothing. I'm going to teach them everything from the ground up which really kind of imposes a low ceiling on how far I can take them. Or let's dig deep. Let's get creative about what they're likely to already know that we can build on. And uh, I, f- I found that approach really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it also gets into like your assumptions around frames of reference, right? Like what are you offering to people in your course? And how does that intersect with the background and context that your participants are entering the course with? And are the, the references you're making, the examples you're using, uh, everything that you're asking people to do in the course, is that aligned with and appropriate to that background and context that people are coming in with? Or are you asking them to do things that are either way over their heads or so easy that they're demotivating? All right. Well, then, Abe, you want to read us out? Course Lab is a Miracy FM original production. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal of Riziku, and my co-host is Danny Eady. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb, BC Lance, and Jeff Gobertson assembled the episode. Danny Eady is our executive producer. Big thanks to Dr. G for taking the time to share her successes and challenges regarding the course. Again, Dr. G teaches courses on how you can befriend stress and build resilience. And you can find her at askdrg.com. That's ask. Doctor, the full word, not abbreviated, g.com, askdrg.com. Also, you'll definitely want to tune in to Miracy's new podcast, Making It. In each episode, a successful entrepreneur will share what making it means to them and what they've learned along the way. You certainly don't want to miss what's to come this season on Course Lab, so subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Hey, can I say thank you? <laughs> sure. So we'll we'll start with um, I'll thank you for coming on. Uh, you can respond, and then I'll I'll read your uh, your info. Awesome. All right. Are you ready? Wait. What's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. 
Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively and we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. <laughs> Why are you stopping the recording? <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.